today I'm going to do the next of our uh, divisional previews and I'm very pleased to welcome today to the Empire Strikes Back podcast uh, a representative of the Toronto Blue Jays. So welcome to the podcast, Daniel Woodrow. How are you doing, Daniel? Hi, Mark. Thank you. I'm going to put that in my Twitter bio, representative of the Toronto Blue Jays. Sounds great. Thank That's you very much. <laughs> That's fine. So what we're trying to do with these is give our listeners a kind of a rundown of, uh, a detailed rundown of the, each of the the, the teams within our division to find out a little bit more about them maybe look back at last season um look towards this season and i think you guys yeah we're, we're worried about you guys i'll be completely honest with you just up front but before we start on that give us a little rundown of how you got into baseball and, and why the blue jays well i'd always been a, a big cricket fan i played a lot of cricket and i saw the the similarities or the comparisons um between cricket and baseball. So, you know, one batsman, one bowler, individual battles in a team sport. And I'd always thought that was great. And then my wife and I went on honeymoon to Toronto, New York. Um, and it was in April, it was April 2014. And Blue Jays were at home and the Yankees were at home. I thought, well, we've got to go and see a game. You know, I'd always wanted to, but I'd never, when I'd been to America before, it had never tied in with the season. So, you know, it's like, well, when, when I was on honeymoon, so I was writing to everyone, hey, we're on honeymoon, any chance we can, you know, just see what little perks you can get. And I wrote to both the Blue Jays and the Yankees and the Blue Jays invited us in early to their game. They were playing the Astros and they gave us a complete behind the scenes tour. They took us in to watch batting practice. So it was um, Jose Bautista and Edwin Encarnacion and, and so on. Um, we got to see all of that. They gave us some really great seats. They gave us balls that were used during the game and they completely spoiled us rotten. But the game itself was fantastic. The Blue Jays lost, but the, the atmosphere, the crowd, just the whole experience of being there and seeing it live was absolutely incredible. And you sort of, you fall in love with the sport straight away like that. And you could see the skill on show, the, the sound the ball makes when it's hit and all of that just came alive. Um, and then I tried the same thing with the Yankees, nothing. Uh, at all but but I'd, I'd said to um to friends before I went out you know which game should I go and see and they said well you've got to see both they said and they gave a football comparison they said the Blue Jays are like Aston Villa so a nice community family run you're never really going to win much but there's that sense and then the Yankees are the Manchester Uniteds and and so on but so I went to Yankee Stadium as well and it was when they were playing the Red Sox and I've never heard anyone booed or abused as much as David Ortiz when he stepped up to um, to play in that game as well there was there was a very negative crowd reaction to him but he seemed to thrive on it and again that experience was great to be a part of too so came back got MLB TV and just you know followed the game from there I mean Ortiz used to kill us I mean you you always kind of boo the ones who you fear the most in some ways and, and Ortiz was that kind of player yeah. he murdered us every time just about so if the Yankees had responded in kind there's a possibility you could have followed them instead oh no I don't think so I think I mean from a Nothing against the Yankees, obviously, but from a football point of view, I'm a Colchester United fan. I like the underdog. I like the I like not going for the obvious, popular, you know, it's really successful teams. It's it's almost the hope that kills you, but the hope that keeps you going as well. So I think you know the response the Blue Jays gave us was really positive, and they were the first ones we saw. But I think their dynamic as a club, you know, fits the sort of team that I like to support as well. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I know Kev, who uh, goes comes on our podcast very often, um, one of the main guys, he's been to Toronto quite a lot with work. So he goes to the Rogers Stadium quite a bit when he's yeah. up there. And, and I know he really likes the atmosphere there and, and appreciates the games there. But, okay, so let's look a little bit on last season. 
you won 91 games and came fourth. And I don't know if you know this, but that is the most wins that any club has had in 20 years and not made the playoffs. Yeah, so we're, we're, the best, lucky. we're the best team never to make the playoffs. And and some of it is unlucky when you look at some of the, the barriers that were in, you know, that the team faced, it's particularly in terms of not being able to play at Rogers Centre for half the season. And a lot of the games that we played at Buffalo, particularly when we played the Yankees, actually almost being like home games for the Yankees and, and our players being booed in what was their normally their home ground. Um, and then some of it was self-inflicted. There were a couple of runs where I think Charlie Montoyo, you know, could have been a bit more proactive. And there were some series and some games that we lost that maybe we shouldn't. But in the end, I mean, it was an incredible season to watch and to follow the team with and be a part of. And you're just unlucky. It's the, it's the problem with the AL East, isn't it? There's just too many good teams and everyone else does, you know, really well. And I think there were times during the season where we didn't think we'd get anywhere near the playoffs. And then by the end of it, ultimately, you're left feeling disappointed and frustrated because there's no doubt the team was good enough to have gone on and had a really successful playoff um, if we'd have got in. And it's a real shame we didn't. You touched on it there that last year you played in three different ballparks, Dunedin, Buffalo, and finally you ended up at the Rogers Centre. Did that have an impact? Well, was that disruptive, do you think? Yeah, I think the team did really well not to make a fuss of it uh, and not to, to blame it too much. But it, it must have been. I know um, Charlie Montoya's come out now and said things like, you know, you've it's the things outside of the game. So it's finding your, your apartments, where you're going to live. It's where your family are. And, and there's so much stuff like that going on outside of it all that actually to then just focus on the baseball and be able to play is really tricky. There's always the uncertainty of when that's going to end, when you're going to move from one stadium to another and be allowed back to Rogers Centre. It's difficult to put that from your mind. I think it must have had an impact. And also, as I've mentioned, to be booed at your own ground and for your own fans to be outnumbered by away fans quite often and to lose that home advantage massively affects how any team would do I would imagine so again it makes 91 wins all the more remarkable in a way that half a season wasn't played at Rogers and you saw when we went back to Rogers Centre there was the great emotion and the first game that we were there and then the team went on a pretty good run I think of home fixtures there were quite a few home fixtures in a row and the team won the vast majority of them we thought oh hang on here we go and then it just fell off a little bit which was a shame but you know this season with being at home all the time different story Okay, so let's touch on some of the individual performances of last season. And I've, I've got to start with the man himself, Vlad. Um, now, I recall seeing a picture of, of, of Vlad Guerrero, I think it was before the 2020 season. And I've never seen a backside as big on a man, as a as professional athlete, as he had then. And yet before the 21 season, he's, he lost about 30 pounds. And he just looked far more chiselled and it showed in his performances 48 home runs 111 rbi he really came out that that was his breakout season wasn't it last year yeah and he'd had a lot of, of criticism not just for how he looked but i think there were the expectations were so high when he was first called up and the blue jays had delayed calling him up they delayed and delayed and i think he got a hit in his first game which was great and suddenly everyone thought oh here we go and then it it took its time and obviously hasn't ever really had a full season and his you know, his physical condition was a factor as well. But I like the fact that he didn't come in and just hit the ground running and it was really easy for him straight away. He's had to work hard for it. So he had to earn. He's had to look at his technique, his physique, all those sorts of things. And last year, you saw the end product of all the hard work that he'd put in and that the people around him had put in as well. Because it's 
he was phenomenal. And it wasn't just the fact that he was hitting all those. He played almost every game. You know, the fitness to actually, I know he's a young lad, but to go through the whole season and to be there almost ever present was absolutely, it was crucial as well and really important. So I think he deserves a, a tremendous amount of credit because there's the same thing about all the pitchers will have seen him over the previous two years and would have worked out what they should do to him, how to pitch to him and so on. And he's had to overcome that as well. So I think he put it all together wonderfully. And whether what was happening with Marcus Simeon spurred him on as well, and he was worried about getting caught up in terms of the home runs. And obviously Atani was having an incredible season. So he had people in his sights that he could aim for and sort of rivalries from other teams, but he was incredible. And what he bought off the pitch as well, just the sense of fun and the camaraderie and everything, you could see he was just having the best time. And that filtered through, I think, the clubhouse to other players as well. What, what, what impacted moving him from third to first, which I assume is a fairly permanent move now, what, what impact did that have on him? Because he's not got the physique, I think, of a, of a third baseman completely. So I understand why the, why the Blue Jays did it. Yeah, it's different when you're, you're just trying to fit someone in and find the best place for them. But I mean, I think the increased fitness really helped. The, some of the stretches and the reaches he was making at first were incredible. And I think there'd been a couple of, of um, errors when he was at third base that obviously play on your mind. But the, as soon as it was obvious that he was confident at first base uh, and that he was picking people up and doing really well there, I think that has to inform your batting and you have to feel more confident as well. And then you can DH every now and again. But I think there was a little bit of apprehension about how well he'd go at that last season. But very quickly, um, we worked out that he was doing that really well and he got better as the season progressed too. So, of course, you are the team where uh, made up of players whose dads all seem to have played in the major leagues before. So let's touch on one of those guys. Bo Bichette, um, he's everybody's fantasy baseball darling this year. And I've, I've got him in a couple of leagues, I'll be honest with you. Um, tell me about him. What, what do you make of him? I think his consistency is incredible. When he goes on a run, of hits he really goes on a run of hits and it can extend into you know multiple games and again he's you know his fitness is really strong and he's one of these group of young players coming through and he's got the camaraderie with everyone but his fielding um in a shortstop was really good and got stronger as the season went on he would not just hit the home runs but in crucial hits at crucial times he would come up with as well he would get on base when you needed him to and i just think a sort of his his game awareness and his game management is a real strength as well as well as just the you know basic skills of hitting the ball really well he's aware of what to do at the right time and i think he's got that old head on young shoulders thing that you look for in young players as well so he's only going to get better too i think you've made a good choice putting him in your team yeah what about kevin biggio because he didn't come along as well as uh, the other guys did he yeah but he he was um, down in the minors sometimes as well i think kevin struggled with injury last season and I think right. then because um Simeon was doing well and and also Santiago Espinal who who came through and had a really good season was one of those unknown players if you like that you know really shone when he came in it was difficult for Kevin to to get in the team and stay fit long enough to establish himself so hopefully post-season he's been able to put right all the little niggles that were there and I know there are really high hopes for him this season too so yeah it wasn't his best season but he's got lots of potential and he's still got plenty of time is he going to start this year or is he going to start in the minors? I think he'll start this year. I would imagine he'd be in opening day. I'd put him in opening day lineup, certainly. Um, so I'd like to see him start. Uh, and the, all the noises, I haven't heard anything about the minors for him at the moment. So, yeah, he should do. He'll, he'll have a good season. OK. On the pitching side, you had Robbie Ray, who um, 
Rob, who presents on our podcast, has a kind of man crush on <laughs> on Robbie Ray, and you know, and I've admired him for a long time in terms of big strikeout guy, but he used to walk the world. Last year, he fixed that. His control just improved remarkably, and he deservedly won the Cy Young. What did you make of that? I think sometimes, as a player, you either find a club that really works for you, or you find a coach who just really works for you. And I think Pete Walker did a lot with it. it has to take a lot of, of credit for what Robbie Ray did last year. And I'm really pleased for Robbie that he's gone on and he's got his money and he's somewhere else. But I wonder if it was just the best, the perfect fit for him last year. And I wonder if he'll be able to maintain that next year going forward. I mean, Pete Walker's in a spot of bother at the moment. Um, and he was he was caught, um, caught driving under the influence and we're not sure what sort of role Pete Walker will be able to play this season. And that will be a huge loss if he can't go through. But I think the impact he had on Robbie Ray um, was really important. And I think the impact what Robbie Ray was doing then had on people like Alec Manoa, who came up during the season um, and was able to look up to him and see the way that he conducted himself and the way that you can, you know, build innings and set up a hitter was fantastic too. So we'll miss the impact he had on other players as well, I think. But I wonder if last season was the season for him and whether he'll find it hard to get that control back. I hope for him that he has another really good season. Though. I must confess, I was surprised in some ways about what the Blue Jays did on that. It's effectively you let Ray go and you brought Gaussman in, which on one sense is a bit of a coin flip. But over the two, I would, I would take Ray for the first strikeout potential. And I, I was surprised, given what you said, that, okay, he found a ball club that worked for him, that you that you did let him go, and you bought you, you then bought Gausman for not dissimilar money to what Ray eventually got with Seattle. Yeah, I know that, I mean, the money went on Berrios at the start, so we extended um, Berrios, and, and I don't know how it worked out. I would agree. I think Robbie Ray and the Blue Jays was a really good fit. And I think if you've got someone that works, particularly because we didn't keep Marcus Simeon as well, I did wonder if we would keep one or the other. Um, but the fact we didn't get either, I mean, Gausman's great. I think he's going to do really well and I'm not disappointed that we've got him. But when you've got someone and it's worked really well and you've got the chance to keep them, then I'd have liked to see us maybe push a bit harder. But I can't I grumble so. about most of the off-season purchases. I think we've, we've done some really good business. So, Well, uh, come on, do you want to talk about some of that? So you brought in Matt Chapman? Yeah, which is, I mean, an incredible uh, defence. I mean, defence was already pretty good but you talked about Vladdy moving over to first base who would be at third well now we've got a wall at third base there's not much gonna get past him and he's going to be really productive as well I think from a defensive point of view is great but from a um, batting point of view we've got a lot of players who hit home runs and we haven't got so many players who maybe can just get on base to break up that so that you know we score more and I think he will get on base more and if we split him between Vladdy and, and Teoscar Hernandez or Lourdes Gurriel Jr., then I think that will increase our scoring options as well. So to have someone who will get on base more than, than other players maybe is, is going to be really good. So I think he's a, he's a great purchase. And I think our overall pitching now, I think before we had maybe four pitchers that we could be confident with and the fifth one might have been a, a bullpen day or, or Nate Pearson who gets injured or Ross Stripling who struggled. Whereas now we've got Five really strong pitchers. Um, Hinjung Ryu struggled towards the end of last season and was he came out of games in the first or second innings a few times towards the end, which was a real disappointment and a real shame. But we're not so reliant on him now, so there's not that level of pressure. And also, someone like a Nate Pearson 
is going to be really good as an extended innings guy from the bullpen if that's how he starts off or Ross Stripling. So it's not just your first five pitchers, but our sixth and seventh pitchers look pretty good too. So I think, you know, the strengthening of, of the defence with Matt Chapman and then the strengthening of the, the starting rotation are going to really help us. You, you touched on him early before, but a pitcher who really impressed me when I when I watched him, and I think I saw him make his debut, which I think was against the Yankees, Alec Manoa. He's a big lad, isn't he? Oh, um, he's yeah, he's absolutely fantastic. And it's not he's 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 built, isn't he? Blimey. Yeah, and um and he gives it back as well. I think the Yankees tried to have a little bit of a chat with him. Uh I know he 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 had a good game against you and then he had a really bad game against you. But when um when when there were some verbals flying around, he wasn't shy in coming back either. But he's just got that swagger about him, mm. which is a sort of Marcus Stroman-esque in a way, maybe not as extreme, but he's he's got that confidence and he's got the ability to back it up as well. And he was a real find. So he came through on the third of the way through the season, whenever it was, he came up. But he was great. And he almost became, you've got Robbie Ray, but then he became the sort of go-to pitcher, the, the second one that you would always back to, to get the win or to get through six scoreless or whatever it may be. So the prospect of having him for a full season and him just improving is really strong. Yeah, he was he was a great addition. Mm. No, I, I like him a lot. I think he's probably your ace of the future for me. Um, just looking at him, he's got that swagger about him. He's he's built. He's got a great fastball. Uh, I like the look of him a lot. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, and I, you get the feeling when when it's going against him, when things are going tough, he's not going to let that phase in, and he'll he'll rise to it. You know, I can see that. I think his character, as you say, the swagger and just the strength and everything else, he does look like the all round package. He looks fantastic. Mm. My sense is that Ryu's past his best now. I think he's going to only decline from here on in he's what 34 35 now yeah I, I would agree with you and I think that's what we started to see towards the end of of last season as well so he's certainly I mean Berrios has got opening day I think we had it last year but he's he's not your main pitcher and with Goldsman coming in as well he's probably going to end up third fourth in that rotation but he's still a handy third fourth one to have I know he's not got the speed it's just a question of whether he can maintain his variety and his control and, and that did start to go a bit towards the end of last season but as I say we've got we've got the ballpen to bail him out if we need to now which I'll, we maybe didn't have all the time last season okay so you're saying you're confident in the starting rotation you've got a good certainly first three your infield's great uh your outfield you've got uh Tiosca Hernandez uh you've lost Reed Pondo I think you traded him um where are the weaknesses? I mean, it's catcher. I mean, catcher stands out for me because I'm not certain that, that Danny Anson, I think, has got potential, but I'm not certain he's fulfilled it yet. No, I would agree. I mean, I think we the outfield is is what Guriel, Springer, if he can stay fit, um, and Teoscar. So that's that's great. But you're right. I think we've there's two pitches, two main ones really. So there's Danny Jansen, who's the best keeper, best catcher, sorry, that I would say, but doesn't have the productivity when he bats at all. Um, and goes massive spells without a hit. And it almost becomes a running joke about how bad he is. And then suddenly in a, in a week, we'll hit two or three home runs and it sort of dies down again. And then you've got Alejandro Kirk, who isn't as good a, a catcher, but who could play as a, as a DH in his own right. And I think has been a lot in spring training. So it's the balance really. It's the productivity of, of one against the catching of the other. And I think at the moment, Alejandro Kirk's output is probably putting him as number one, um, just because I think he's he's got the hitting and and he'll do more for the team. And I don't think Danny Jansen's keeping or catching, sorry, is is good enough or better enough to justify a place. But 
between the two of them, I'm sure, you know, they'll get plenty of opportunities. I think um, Danny Anson catches um, Ryu really well and they have a really strong relationship. And I don't know if that works in your favour or not as a, as a catcher. If you get a really good relationship with one pitcher in particular, whether that then you're always going to catch for them and, and maybe it lessens the impact you can have with other players, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I would agree. We don't have like a Russell Martin from a few years ago who can, you know, bat high up for us and, and really, you know, have a, a strong output there. So that's a fair point. Well, the Yankees had that in spades last year because we had probably our top three pitchers all deciding that Kyle Higashioka was going to be their personal catcher. Yeah. And that hastened the end of uh, of Gary Sanchez from, from the Bronx. Really? Yeah, it's, it's funny. You get those relationships, don't you? And whether I, I don't know if it, it counts in your favour. Clearly for Gary Sanchez, it, it probably didn't in the end. But um, if it's two or three pitches, it certainly won't. Will it? So, so one thing that I think may have an impact, which is, I think, unique in baseball, is the fact that anybody who goes into Canada has to have or have to have proof that they have a COVID injection. And there's a lot of talk that clearly anybody going into play in the Rogers Centre is going to have to have this. And mysteriously, players may not, whatever reason, make the trip to, to Canada. Um, this is going to play to your play into your hands a little bit, isn't it? We're soon going to find out which players haven't had the injection if they make the trip or not. Yeah, Aaron Judge gave a very vague answer on that, didn't he, recently? Um, you're absolutely right, but I have no sympathy for, for those who haven't. And after two years of it very much not playing into our hands and our players not being allowed into, into Canada to play and, and being you know home away from home and so on, I think it's the right thing. So I think it will play to our advantage. There will be some players, and you're right, we don't know who. I mean, there are some players that the Blue Jays have said they wanted to sign, but they haven't been able to because because of those rules as well. So there is a slight downside um, on our behalf as well. But I would agree. I think it'd be fascinating as the season goes on. So the Red Sox, I think most organisations have come out and said, we fully support the idea that players should be vaccinated. We would encourage everyone to be vaccinated. Um, but I wonder how many minor calf strains or little things like that there'll be when a few players you know, are due to come to Rogers Centre and whether that will change over the course of the season and there'll be pressure on players to go against the decision they've made now you know, just to support their teammates and help them out. Well, particularly when you've got, you'll be playing 36 games at home against teams in the AL East. And so it'll be very interesting for the Yankees' perspective. There's rumours about Judge, there's rumours about Rizzo. Whether they make the trips along the lines of what you said, I think it's going to be a very intriguing dynamic this season. Absolutely. And and we'll take any advantage we can. So it's nice to have it after a couple of years. So, yeah, I'm looking... I think it will help a bit, but I, I just think we're a, we're a strong enough team that we'll do well anyway. But uh, yeah, it certainly doesn't disadvantage us. Okay. Are there any other players we've not touched on who you think are maybe kind of like hidden gems who we, we maybe were not aware of or not aware of sufficiently who could have an impact this season for the Blue Jays? Well, I'm a, I've, I've mentioned, I think I mentioned their names, but I'm a big Nate Pearson fan as a pitcher. He's, he, again, he's a strong lad. He's got an incredibly fast fastball. Um, but he's there were a lot of high hopes for him when he came in, but injury hasn't really helped. Yeah. And there have been a couple of games when he started, and it's just it's very quickly fallen apart for him while he's playing, and he's had to go down to the minors, got injured again. So if he can stay fit, then I think he will have a, a real impact. And certainly when he came out of the, the bullpen towards the end of the season, he was fit. He was a very, you know, 
really powerful relief to have. And then there's a player, Santiago Espinal, who is a sort of positional player in the infield, but some of the, the plays that he made were incredible and his productivity just increased more and more throughout the season. I don't think he's a, an everyday starter, but when he comes in, he's dynamic in the outfield and he has some really important hits and he's well worth looking out for as well. So yeah, Pearson and Espinal. Pearson worries me, like you said, just because of the injuries. Um, yeah. I know he can, he can touch 100, 101, but you can't stay on the field, can he? No, he can't. And it's and it's been a couple of years now, you know, and, and you worry for him because if he can't turn it around this year, then I don't know if other teams will want to take a, a punt on him as well. And I think he should be a starter. And whether he'd settle for being a reliever, uh, I don't know. But I think it's a crunch year for him this year. He needs to do well. And I really hope he does. Okay. We'd like to finish up these with um, a predictions. So if you could give us the who's going to finish first, second, third, fourth, fifth in the AL East this season. Okay. Come home if you want. It's up to you. I don't mind. Um, so I think, right, so we'll start with Orioles in fifth. Um, and then, I mean, it is, it is toss a four-sided coin, isn't it, in a way? But I'm going to go Red Sox fourth, Rays third, Yankees second, Blue Jays first. And that is a little bit one-eyed and biased, uh, but I do think it's our season. So... I, you know, I don't quite know. I, I said, I've said with, with other Blue Jays fans been talking to, I think we'll have made the playoffs with eight games to go. I don't know whether that will be as the divisional winners or whether that will be, you know, we'll have secured a wild card spot. But with eight games to go, I think we'll have, we'll have made it this year. But you just don't know, do you? But I'm, I'm really confident. I, it's certainly, it's never dull at the moment following the Jays. It really isn't. And, and there's a lot to get excited about. Um, and I think, Fitness, a lot fitness of other teams will come down to it. I mean, you've got Josh Donaldson, for example, but I, I don't know how much he'll play for you um, and things like that. So if we can keep Springer fit, if it, 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 I think that will play a big part as well. But uh, yeah, we're going to win the division this year. Well, Gladys, you're the third guest I've interviewed and you the two have both said the Blue Jays. They think the Blue Jays will win the division as well. It's just, it feels like, our, and I know that's a really cliche thing to say, but it, it feels like our time. I think, when you looked at the Astros and the young team they had coming through and all the, and everyone realized in two or three years, they were going to be a, a great team. Um, and I think it's the same. I think there's more noise around us, but we'll see how we cope with that pressure as well. There is more expectation. I think this year we've just extended Charlie Montoya's contract for another year. So I think, you know, he's got to avoid some of the mistakes he made last year as well and see how he responds to the pressure. But We've got a, a really talented young group who love playing. We've made some really good additions. Let's let's go. Okay, Daniel, it's been great. Thank you. We were talking before you came on this podcast that you're, you're a head teacher at primary school, and I came across you on your Twitter account because you were tweeting about how you were uh, mentioning the Blue Jays in school assemblies or doing something different on lockdown. W tell me about that a little bit, and where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, so. Um, I'm at Daniel underscore Woodrow on Twitter. And I should probably mention Blue Jays Fans UK. Steve Hunter runs that and does an amazing job. And that's at Blue Jays Fans UK as well. But so I'm head teacher of a primary school, the specialist unit in um, a market town in Suffolk. And during the first lockdown of the pandemic, it would have been opening day for MLB. And obviously they couldn't have it. So we, we had it for them on our playground. I took the children who'd come in, the key worker children who were in, um, and showed them videos of baseball, just taught them through the rules. We've got rounders, obviously, so there's a, some similarities there. And then um, 
took them out onto the playground, draped all my Blue Jays paraphernalia everywhere. And we recreated what obviously would have happened had opening day gone ahead, which was the Blue Jays hitting a, a walk-off grand slam to beat the Yankees. Um, so we had a, a player, uh, one of the boys, you know, hear that. We, we tried him to get him to do the best Bautista-like bat flip that he possibly could. You know, around the bases, we had a, <laughs> a bin full of ripped up blue paper to replicate water Gatorade. We poured that over him. Um, and then we, yeah, we just put it online and MLB saw it. The Blue Jays saw it. A lot of fans in the UK saw it. Um, and it was great. And it was just a bit of fun. But now, you know, the children know that I like baseball. They know I'm a Blue Jays fan. I do a year six, the last year in primary school, have a sleepover at school in the school hall before they go. Um, and I stay awake all night. And one of the only ways I can do that is because there's normally baseball on. So <laughs> that's sort of that's informed a lot of what happens at school. And, and the children like drawing little Blue Jays pictures. And, and we talk about baseball a lot. It's lovely. Yeah, it's really nice. Daniel, that's been great. Um, you've been smashing. And I really appreciate you, you coming on and doing this for you. Um, I'd wish you good luck this season, but I probably wouldn't mean it. Um, but um, it's been great having you on. Thank you very much indeed. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on, Mark. I really enjoyed it.